Amen. That was awesome. Thank you, team. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Folks, turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 8. Kids, you're dismissed. Thank you for being here. While you're turning there, I'll tell you, I was really moved during that video. Um, I know the kids were enjoying opening their gifts, but I was looking at all our little kids out here, and they were, their eyes were glued to the screen. It was pretty emotional seeing them watch these kids enjoy Christmas, but even more, have the gospel presented. I think it's awesome to know that each one of these gifts has the gospel attached to it. And uh, that excites me. And to see our kids so alert and focused on that, that was really moving. If you're in 2 Corinthians 8, we're going to concentrate on the first 15 verses. But first, the title of the sermon today is called The Giving Christian. The Giving Christian. So I'm going to start talking about divine grace. Divine grace is our design. It is our blueprint for generosity uh, and out of this generosity, we find our desire to give. That is correct. I said desire to give, but it starts with grace. Now, I've heard it said, and I paraphrase, but when the grace of God comes into our hearts, meaning that we understand and can grasp what this gift of grace means, only then will our clenched hands soften as we are released into the joy of generosity and become the giving Christian that we are meant to be. These clenched hands softening. Now, giving is an act of grace, church family. It is an act of grace. So let's better understand what grace is so that we can make sense of what divine grace means. So defining grace in the spiritual we're talking about undeserved favor, undeserved favor. And that undeserved favor is a gift that is freely given. So divine grace is a gift from God. It's God's favor towards those who are unworthy and undeserving. Church family, that is you and that is me. So, like I stated previously, it is a gift. Now, a gift is something much different from that of something you borrow or something that is loaned to you. It's not something that you were required to return or to repay because a gift costs only the giver. It only costs the giver, not the recipient. That's what a gift is. The recipient of the gift is transferred ownership of said gift. It's permanent. It is the giver who is giving up what he or she has purchased or what he or she owns in order for the recipient to, to benefit or to profit from said gift. It costs the giver only. So divine grace paints the greatest picture of what this true gift is. But... God's divine grace is not only a gift to be received by us, it becomes a reality in which love flows from out of us to others, to our church, in this act of giving grace. 
God's gift of grace to us, you've heard it said, count your many blessings. Count your many blessings, name them one by one. Well, let's look at what grace gives us. Here's some things. Forgiveness, transformation, blessing, provision, salvation, righteousness, victory, encouragement, hope, truth, protection, Love, care, healing, justification, relationships, spiritual riches, help, deliverance, comfort, strength, and life. I mean, I could go on and on here. Do you see the gifts of grace? I mean, we can see by His design, His design, the gifts of grace that He bestows upon us. And in turn, He wants it to become our desire to show others grace. One of the ways we do this, of course, is by giving of ourselves and of our resources. Again, giving is an act of grace. So I believe we should start with the desire in giving first. So look in your Bibles here. We're going to start in verse, uh, uh, verse 1 through 7, 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 7. Let's read together. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus, that as he had started so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Okay, Paul is speaking to the Corinthians, okay? But Paul is speaking of the churches in Macedonia, which are Philippi, Thessalonica, and lastly, Berea. Now, Thessalonica, we spent some, quite a bit of time on Thessalonica. We've talked about that uh, city quite a bit recently. But these are the churches in Macedonia that he's talking to the Corinthians about. So what were these churches given? <clears throat> the Bible tells us they were given the grace of God. This is where it all starts. But Paul tells us that these churches in Macedonia were facing a severe, <clears throat> hear me, a severe test of affliction and extreme suffering. Yet he also states that they had an abundance of joy and overflowed in their wealth of generosity. <clears throat> affliction, yet joy. Poverty, yet wealth. That's interesting. See, Paul is using the churches of Macedonia as an example, as an illustration to motivate and to encourage the Corinthian church to also participate in this act of grace. But what were the Corinthians to be doing? What are they being called to do here? Or who are they supposed to be helping is another way to put it. 
Well, it's the church in Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem was in great need. Back in his first letter to the Corinthians, um, Paul was <clears throat> making an appeal for this church to help in funding relief for the saints in Jerusalem. See, Jerusalem had been impoverished through famine. And you know, my heart goes out to Israel right now what I think about what's going on and what they're dealing with. And I related what's happening now to how awful it must have been then because they were impoverished uh, through famine. And we've seen what famine can do to countries. So through this collection, this would be a great help. And it was also an act of charity. It was. But it was also a symbol of unity between the, the Gentiles and the Jews of the church as a whole. Right? We're not separated. So the collection being taken up is to help those in need in Jerusalem. In fact, in Acts 11, 29 through 30, it says, So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Of course, Saul being Paul. So back to Paul's praise here and use of the Macedonian churches. These churches had ample reason to be sorrowful in their trials. They had ample reason to be sorrowful in their troubles and their afflictions, but they rejoiced. Though they were living in extreme poverty, they had the means to make others rich. See, in other words, Though they had nothing, they possessed everything that mattered. Everything that really mattered, they possessed. And so we have joy and wealth pitted against affliction and poverty. What is going on here? How can you be joyful? How can you give of yourselves when you on paper, have nothing. What is going on? Well, like Paul, the Macedonian churches had learned that God's grace is sufficient. Please don't take that lightly. God's grace is sufficient. So sufficient that God's grace could take their weaknesses and through them display his power. And we know that to be true from our study of the all-powerful Jesus. In fact, 2 Corinthians 12, 9, this is Paul. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. That's powerful. See, Paul states that they gave according to their means, right? What they could afford to share, what was in their power to give. That's giving of your means. But then he testifies something. He says, no, they gave beyond their means. This is what we call sacrificial giving. This church has several people in it that know all about sacrificial giving, I've been the recipient of your sacrificial giving. I'm sure that you've been the recipient of somebody else's sacrificial giving. 
That's one thing I know for sure that this church knows, is how to give. But Paul states they gave beyond their means. So they gave what was reasonable to expect on their own accord, but then they went above and beyond and gave sacrificially. And and this, folks, they begged to do it. Who here begs to give? Oh, please, please let me give. Let me give of myself. Let me give of my money and my time. Who does that? So here they are sharing beyond their means what was reasonable to expect, blowing Paul's mind, right? Doing it on their own accord, not being asked. And they're doing it uh, in a way where they're begging Paul, please let us do this. Let us take part in this collection for the saints. They beg to take part in this act of grace. So Paul says, this is not as we expected. I did not expect this. This is something else. They gave beyond what Paul thought they would. Paul knew they'd give something, but it went way beyond. So they were eager to pass on to others what they themselves had received and what had been passed to them. And what is that? Church family, it's called grace. That's what these churches were receiving, and they wanted to pass it on. Verse 5 says that they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Let me talk about that. Gave themselves. Okay, Grace Fellowship, I need you to think about it for a second. If the Macedonian churches were giving beyond their means, doing so cheerfully and as willing participants in this great collection, in the midst of their affliction and poverty, what else could this be but the giving of them very selves, their very, very selves? It has to be. So the financial giving was only the outward expression of a deeper giving. We're looking at the tip of the iceberg here. It's going deeper. See, they gave themselves first to the Lord. This means you're yielding yourself, yielding oneself in dedication. You're yielding yourself in devotion to God. And this is the prerequisite to the sacrificial self-giving to others. In fact, without giving yourself first to God, you cannot give of yourself to another, not cheerfully and not sacrificially. When a believer offers him or herself wholly to the Lord, they have no difficulty, none at all, in offering their resources to his church, his church, and to others as well. So the Corinthians had promised to give. They had promised to, yet they had failed to participate. They had failed to complete this. So Paul was asking them, please, complete what they said they would do. He wanted the Corinthians to give sacrificially with the motive being purely spiritual. And we know about motive. We know about motive. Motive is what drives us. It's what stirs us into action. See, giving freely and having the eagerness to give, that's the pure spiritual motive. And this is what was happening in the Macedonian churches. Giving freely and having the eagerness to give. So it wasn't necessarily about the amount of the gift. Do you want to know why it's not about the amount 
of the gift when it comes to God? First off, God doesn't need anything from us. You don't think God's plans are going to come to fruition? You don't think his purposes will come, right? God's purposes will prevail. No, but God values the willingness of his people and the motive. Because if it were truly, listen, folks, if we were truly to measure the extent of God's giving to each of us, there is no comparison in what we could give back. There's not. There uh, our appreciation, right? If you think about our gratitude, there is no comparison what we can give back. And, and, and the extent of his grace bestowed upon us, it's overwhelming. It's overwhelming. So the appreciation and gratitude for God's gift will lead believers to give them themselves. You ready for this? Joyfully. Now, when I have to pay a bill, I'm going to be honest with you, there's not a lot of joy and giving money, I know I owe it, and I am obligated to pay it, and they insist on me paying it, by the way, but it's not joyful. Here, we are called to give joyfully. How can that be? Well, whatever the case may have been, they started to give, and they stopped talking about the Corinthian church. They started to give and they stopped. And then they promised to give, but had yet to start the collection. We're talking about a year passing, folks. That's a long time. If I said, hey, I am gonna raise some money to help your cause, and then a year later you come back and say, hey, um, did you get that money raised? It's been a year. That's a long time. Paul wants them to complete what they said they would do a year prior. So, Titus was there, a fellow worker. Titus was there. And Titus was there to see the completion of this act of grace through the Corinthians. Now, Paul reminded them that they were benefiting from God's grace. They were benefiting from God's grace. <clears throat> what did he say? They were excelling in faith? They were excelling in speech. They were excelling in knowledge. You have tasted God's grace. You're excelling in it. Excel in this grace of giving as well. Basically, Paul was setting a challenge for them. He was setting the challenge. The generosity of the Macedonians, right, had set in an awesome example for them. And the Corinthians, guess what? The Corinthians could actually do more because they weren't hurting like the churches in Macedonia. However, only love for God by his grace would enable the Corinthians to act on this grace in giving. So Christians, listen to me. Christian giving is always a response. Have you ever thought about your giving like that? It's a response. The motivation for our giving is that we have received. This doesn't mean we try to pay God back, for that is an impossibility. That's not going to happen. It does mean that our giving begins in gratitude for what God has given us, and this is desire. If a Christian knows what he or she has truly received, that's where it starts in giving. 
what they have received. This is desire. This is what Paul wants for the Corinthian church. This is what I want for myself. This is what I want for Grace Fellowship. That desire, knowing what we have received. So let's talk about the design. Because, and I know I'm going back, backwards here, but let's talk about the design that brings forth the desire. Look at verse 8, 2 Corinthians 8 through 15. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their needs so that their abundance may supply your need. That there may be fairness, as it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. So we're talking about love that is genuine. We are talking about love that can be proven as genuine. The Macedonians may have set a wonderful, wonderful example. They may have, but there is one who has set the standard above all others. There is one who has set the most perfect example, and that is Jesus's self-sacrifice. Cannot be matched, cannot be repaid, it's not a loan. You're not borrowing it. This is a gift from God. So he exchanged the wealth of his place. He exchanged the wealth of his position. He exchanged the wealth of his deity for poverty. Who does that? He came to us as a human. Step down from heaven is what we call the incarnation. Let's read verse 9 again together. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. This is speaking to our Lord's part in redemption. Folks, the gospel itself is reason for sacrificial giving. This is why Paul, he's not giving a command to give. He's not insisting on obedient giving because his hope is this. He hopes that one will look to the gospel and that that will penetrate the heart, that that will motivate the heart by internal devotion, that it will motivate the heart into pure motive. That's what he wants. It's not a bill. This is what he's wanting. Paul does this not just by simply recounting the gospel, but recounting it in terms of money 
so that the Corinthian church would better understand. He was rich, was rich, but stepping down, he became poor. For who? For you. It's your sake that now the poverty he lives in, that through this poverty, you might become rich. Rich in what? Rich in grace, divine grace. God gave us his son, and his son gave us his life. You are rich. We can't repay this. We can't begin to match it. Seriously, what can we give? What really can we give? That's divine grace. And this is what, this is, what is really beautiful about our God. He values the eagerness in giving. He values the cheerful heart in giving. Again, for him, it is not about the amount you give. It is the quality of the gift, not the quantity. I look to Mark 12, 41 through 44. You know this story about the poor widow's generosity. Let's read it. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich, pe uh, rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. Mm. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, truly I say to you, the poor widow, this poor widow, has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box, for they all contributed out of their wealth, out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put in everything she had, all she had to live on. That is amazing. An amazing illustration of what the Macedonian churches were doing. And this is what Paul is conveying to the Corinthian church. See, this story relates to what happened. And in our text, Paul is honoring these believers. He's honoring the believers in Macedonia just as Jesus honored this poor widow. This is what he's expressing. Because in God's eyes, they were more generous in their giving. If you're giving everything you had to live on, like this poor widow, and someone else is just giving out of their abundance, even if it's more, the widow is giving all she had. And you can tell that she had given herself wholly to the Lord because it's represented in this giving. So it represents what's happening in the churches in Macedonia. So, <clears throat> you know, we are immersed. We are immersed in God's love and grace. Sometimes we forget it. Sometimes we overlook it. But we are immersed in God's love and grace. We're undeserving. It's unmerited. Yet still we are immersed in his gifts to us. Paul wants the Corinthians to finish what they started. But he wants desire to be behind the completion of it. He wants desire to be behind the completion of this act of grace. Paul goes on to tell the Corinthians that if there is a willingness, that if there is a readiness, and they give according to what they have to give, this is an acceptable gift. Of course it is. It's an acceptable gift. They do not have to give beyond their means when they are burdened. Burdening them themselves and letting others live at ease at their expense. He's not calling for that. They are not to give what they don't have. 
But again, the Corinthians were in a much better position to help the churches in Macedonia. So their gift, folks, would truly help the Judean believers. It would truly help those poor. And if there was a time where the situation was reversed, then their plenty, talking about the church in Jerusalem, the Judean believers, their plenty, right, <clears throat> would help others. It would help supply what they need, the Corinthian church. And we look at this <clears throat> as the needs were all met. Because if we go back to the Old Testament, in the wilderness, they were giving manna. And they had orders in how to collect this manna. If you collected more than you needed, it would rot. You only got what you needed. If you collected a little bit, it was still enough. They didn't lack. The manna sustained them. They were all met. Their needs were all met. So we're diving deeper now. We're diving a little bit deeper. <clears throat> the generosity of the Corinthians, helping bring relief to the saints, just as God brought relief to his people in the wilderness, it's for their spiritual benefit. They are benefiting spiritually in this. See, the, uh, the giving Christian will grow closer and closer to experiencing the giving heart of God when they act on this grace. That is amazing. We get to experience, as we grow closer and closer in this, the giving heart of God. Now, we can never match God. We know that. But we can look all throughout Scripture and see the gifts he's given. So this goes right along with the pattern that is developing in this letter. And I know we haven't studied this whole letter together, but let me tell you some of the themes here. <clears throat> um, in giving, we receive. In giving, we receive. Um, in weakness, we are strong. In death, we find life. There's a pattern, you see? There's a pattern to giving in God's design. There's a pattern in the principles of giving in his design. There are privileges in giving in his design because he's given us the blueprint of what that actually looks like. See, his grace should be what fuels us. His grace should be what fuels our desire. Our desire to first give ourselves fully to God. And second, our time, our, our talents, our spiritual gifts, and yes, our money. Case in point, many churches fail because people do not give their tithes and they do not give their offerings. Many churches fail. They don't give their time. They don't give their service. Many churches fail. Any church, hear me, any church which is alive and active will cost money. Do you know that? When we further the kingdom of God and when we pray over tithes and offerings, you have to understand what goes along with that. Electricity, stamps, cooling and heating, working bathrooms. We can do many, many things to bring the gospel in this building. We can do many things to further God's kingdom. But any church that is alive and active is going to cost money. It's going to cost your time. It's going to cost your service. That's why I like saying resources all together. But first, it's going to cost you being devoted to your God. So you and I are not fully surrendered to God until all of us, 
you and I, until we have dedicated ourselves to God, when we have fully devoted ourselves to God. Because I'm going to tell you right now, the greatest gifts come from above. The greatest gifts you could ever receive come from God. Again, God gave his son, Jesus. Jesus gave us his life, right? These gifts, who did they cost? They cost the giver. Jesus Christ is the giver of life. He is the giver of life. I gotta say it again, but God's divine grace, it's not only a gift to be received, he wants us to let that love flow out of us. He wants it to become a reality in our lives in which love flows from us to another, which love flows out of us to our church. In our act of giving, in our act of giving grace, Again, Christians, listen, it's always a response. It's not a bill. You're not obligated. We're not going to fine you. It's not insistent for your obedience. As far as this church is concerned, this all relates to God because you're responding to the gifts he has given. The motivation for our giving is that we have received. And I could go around this room and ask you, has God been good to you? Has God given to you? And I guarantee you would say, yes, let me tell you what God has done for me. That's where the love flows from us to our church, from us to others. Uh, Where's your treasure, folks? Is your treasure here on earth? Are you investing in the worldly? Are you investing in yourself? Or does your treasure lie with God? Matthew 6, 21 says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So where is your treasure? See, we give in response to what we have received. We're able to give because of what we have received. Think about that. This is an act of grace for the giving Christian. Church family, we have received. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we could count our blessings all day long, all night long. Father, the reality is you have been so good to us and you continue to be so good to us and you will continue. Father, we owe you everything. We owe you our very lives. So anything that we possess, own, or have, it's yours. But God, you say, I just need a little. And it's all to help others. It's all to further and and keep your church maintained and going. Father, we need to be the real Christian givers. We need to know what we have received from you. Let us count our blessings. Let us name them one by one so that we realize what we've received. Let that love flow out of us to others in need. Let that love flow out of us to our church, Father, because it's all yours anyways. We don't take anything with us. We surely didn't bring anything with us into this world. Every good gift we have comes from above, and it comes from you. Help us understand, Lord, and grasp the concept of divine grace so that we can freely give of ourselves and of our resources, Lord. 
There's many that need help. Our church needs help. Father, help us realize what we've received. That's the challenge for this church. Father, I pray over each and every heart. Lord, convict us. Illuminate scripture for us. Let the Holy Spirit stir inside and move us. Let us think about who Jesus is to us, what he's done for us, and the blessings that we have been, that you've bestowed on us, that, 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 that are endless, we can't count. Let us dive deep into, Father, what you have done for us and who you are for, uh, to us. And let our giving reflect that, Lord. Let us be real givers because we have received. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.